With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today, the RV is headed to Canada to speak with Robert J. Sawyer. Robert is an award-winning science fiction author, a multiple TEDx speaker, and his latest book, The Oppenheimer Alternative, is out now. So, Robert, I am more than happy to have you here today. Thank you, Lucia. I'm delighted to be here. Robert, you are the very first member of the Order of Canada that I have the honor of speaking to. Well, thank you so much. I'm obviously very thrilled to have that distinction. It's the highest distinction given by the Canadian government. And I was the first person to ever get it for work in the science fiction field. And what really makes me delighted is the second person to get it was William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself. So I beat Bill to that. Wow, <laughs> he may have gotten amazing. into space before me, but I beat him to the Order of Canada. <laughs> you were the first one. That's right. And can you tell us the story behind that? About getting the Order of Canada? Yes. I came as a complete surprise to me. People uh, have to, somebody has to organize uh, uh, letters of recommendation and submit them to the Governor General, who is the, well, at the time I became more member of the Queen's representative in Canada. Now, of course, it's King Charles V is our head of state here in Canada, but the Queen's representative of the Kings is called the Governor General, and the Governor General is responsible for making appointments. It's the Canadian you know, equivalent of a knighthood, uh, and it's done uh, by the person who represents uh, the sovereign, the crown in Canada. Uh, and it was absolutely wonderful experience. Uh, I live in Toronto, but of course the governor general is in our, our national capital, which is Ottawa. So I got to go to Ottawa and stay at a very nice hotel. And there was a lovely ceremony and, uh, the governor general, who was David Johnson at the time, uh, you know, uh, they don't use a, a sword like the king does, but nonetheless, you, Put your head down, you get the big medal, and uh, it's a very lovely ceremony. It must be a great honor and also responsibility. It is. You know, we have an interesting slogan. The Organ of, Orga, uh, Order of Canada has a slogan or a motto, which is they, meaning us, the members of it, they desire a better country. Now, this isn't like the United States with MAGA, Make America Great Again. We think Canada is great, but we also think it's a work in progress that can always be improved, that we're always striving to make this place, which we 
you know, those of us who live here, and I'm sure the people uh, who live in Spain think the same thing about Spain. We think we live in the best place in the world and we want to make it an even better place and a very welcoming and inclusive place. We're very, very proud of our record on immigration. And in fact, one of the perks, in fact, the only real perk, <laughs> can't get a better table in a restaurant being a member of the Order of Canada, but you do get to officiate at Canadian citizenship ceremonies. We have so many people coming to Canada, we're delighted to welcome them with open mm -hmm. arms, that we don't have enough citizenship judges to swear in people. So they decided to essentially deputize members of the Order of Canada who choose to do it, and I was one who chose to. So I have the great honor periodically of officiating at the ceremonies where new citizens come in. I sit at a judge's bench. I'm not a judge, but wearing black judicial robes, the Canadian flags behind me, police officers in full dress uniforms, and I administer the oath. I, I swear uh, allegiance to the crown and blah, 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 and, uh, and welcome them to Canada. And it is the biggest thrill of my life to get to do that. Wow, that's wonderful, Robert. It is wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And Robert, how did you first get into writing? I always wanted to be a writer, even when I was a little kid. I didn't think I could make a living being a writer. That's a different thing. But when I was a little kid, I was scribbling little stories and pencil, you know. Uh, my first oldest one that we've been able to find dates from when I was six years old. And I just was constantly just doing it. I loved reading from being a little kid and still to the present day, spent hours every day still reading. And it just seemed uh, something I really wanted to do. But as I said, I didn't think I could make a living at it. And my goal right through the end of high school was to become a paleontologist, a study uh, a scientist who studies ancient life, in particular my great interest, which is dinosaurs. I always have a dinosaur well at hand, just in case you never know when you're going to need one. There's a stegosaurus right there, a whole bunch of them handy, uh, because you never know when you're going to need a stegosaurus. So, But in my last year of high school, I thought, you know what, I can always go back and study paleontology, but I'm going to take a shot at making a living as a writer, because I'll never forgive myself if I don't at least try. And I was lucky enough that I, you know, one of the very, and I say luck very deliberately because yes, I have some talent. Yes, I work hard, but also those who make it and those who don't in the writing game are often just the ones who, you know, what the lucky draw in life. They just were lucky and the right uh, things happened to them at the right time. And I'm very conscious of the fact that I have to be grateful for that. Uh, Robert, your latest book is the, Oppenheimer alternative. Yes, it is. I can see there. So I have a behind me on my shelf here. Yes. And can you quickly tell us what the book is about? Okay, I can see the name. We can see. Yes, it. it's, it's obviously J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the scientific director of the Manhattan Project, which was the effort seventy-eight years ago now to make the world's first atomic bomb, and. Um, uh, I'm a pacifist. I'm not a fan of atomic weapons. I think there may be a place for atomic energy in our past and in our future, but not for atomic weapons. But Oppenheimer was such a fascinating character because right up until the moment, actually, even, uh, you know, they, they bombed uh, two cities in Japan, as everybody knows, Hiroshima, and then just three days later, Nagasaki. And when they bombed Hiroshima, 
Oppie kind of thought, okay, we had to do this to end the war. Three days later, before Japan had even come to grips with what had happened, uh, when we bombed We Meeting, and I take some blame as a Canadian because the Manhattan Project was the United States, the United Kingdom, and Canada, the three powers jointly together, uh, undertaking to create the world's first atomic bomb. And um, when they did it three days later, he had a complete change of heart. He said, that was not necessary. We didn't have to give them a chance, you know, um, let them digest. Nobody's ever seen an atomic explosion before, except a few of us scientists who saw the test three weeks earlier at Los Alamos, uh, New Mexico in the United States. Nobody ever knew what this was. All the telegraph lines and telephone lines between Hiroshima and Tokyo, the capital, were down because of the explosion. People were, the train lines were destroyed. The word was just reaching the high command in Tokyo. And then we did it again. And suddenly Oppie went from being this guy who said, we got to do this, to being the opposite and spent the rest of his life fighting for atomic disarmament. And I loved the, you know, you can't make up a character with any greater stakes or reason for changing his opinion than that real character. So uh, Oppenheimer famously said um, at that test I alluded to in, in um, New Mexico in August of 1945, where they first tested it before they used it in battle, uh, well, not that in slaughter, uh, now... We have now I am become death. Now I am become death, destroy destroyer of worlds. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. That's actually his own translation of the Bhagavad Gita. He had actually taught himself Sanskrit to read it in the original. He was very interested in Hindu mysticism and everything else. He was a polymath, but he that was his own translation. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to write what we call in science fiction, which is what I'm a science fiction writer, yes. an alternate history novel where he got the chance along with the others who had been involved in that thing, including Leo Zillard and Albert Einstein and Enrico Fenerme and Edward Teller and uh, Richard Feynman and so many others to turn it around in some alternate version of history and be able to say, now we are become life, the saviors of the world. And so it's a hard science fiction novel about a turning point that could have happened, doesn't contradict anything historically that could have happened, where Oppenheimer and company get to uh, redeem themselves. And in fact, I had a poll on my Facebook page. I asked people, you know, we had two possible titles, the Oppenheimer Alternative or the Oppenheimer Redemption. And the alternative won uh, three to one in that contest, in that voting. But it really is about the redemption of J. Robert Oppenheimer, a very, very tragic figure. So, yeah. yeah. In which way did the experience of overseeing the development of the atomic bomb and witnessing its destructive power impacted the Oppenheimer's life and actions afterwards? Well, you know, there's a film coming out next year, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, Christopher Nolan, who is a famous American film director, mm -hmm. famous for 
gigantic movies. His summer 2023 film coming out four months from just about now is called Oppenheimer. It's a biography of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And if you look at the, the biographies that he reused as resources and I used as resources, you look at the titles of them and you can see what happened to Oppenheimer. The most famous one in the fact that when he's officially adapting for his biography is called American Prometheus. Well, that's a great title, right? Soul mm -hmm. Fire from the Gods. But the subtitle is The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer. There's another book by Priscilla McMillan called The Ruin of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And you look at book after book about him, and they all have these titles about his downfall, how tragic a figure he was. And he really was because it was famously said of him by his friend I.I. Um, I. Robbie, who was a Nobel Prize winning physicist. Uh, Robbie said, uh, the thing about Oppie is he's in love with a woman who doesn't love him back. And that woman is the United States because he was the most loyal patriotic American imaginable. And the United States put him on essentially trial. Uh, it was a hearing uh, security clearance hearing review board. And he was, uh, he who had been the leader, the scientific leader of the most secret scientific project and the biggest scientific project in the history of the world. In other words, with the highest possible security clearance got stripped entirely of all of his security clearance was barred from government work because of trumped up ideas that since he was no longer in favor of atomic weapons, therefore he was a traitor to the American cause. And it's a truly tragic story. The impact on his life was absolutely gigantic. And although, you know, he lived, well, he smoked himself to death. He was a huge chain smoker and that's what killed him, the idiot. Super bright guy in every other way, but just couldn't beat that addiction and um he lived his you know he went on and had a, an interesting life but completely cut off from the government secrets for most of that life post after creating the atomic bomb and actually robert every person in this book is real that's right that's right this was a challenge for me because this was my 24th novel so i've had 23 previous science fiction novels and they've all been I was able to say to anybody who would say to me, you know, I don't think, say, I have a novel called Wake. The main character's name is Caitlin, and she's a blind girl who gains sight and so on and so forth. Interesting novel from that point of view. Uh, people might say to me, and they did somewhere, I don't think Caitlin would have done that. And I could say in all sincerity, actually, I'm the world's foremost expert on Caitlin. I made her up. She doesn't exist except as I created her. And I know exactly what she would do. But for this novel, you know, at this stage in my career, I don't have to write a book unless I feel like it. I'm financially set. I'm, you know, my, my reputation is secure. I need a challenge. And for me, the challenge was to write a novel where I wasn't the world's foremost expert on any of the characters because they were real people, real flesh and blood human beings, almost all of whom are dead now. One of the characters, very minor character, uh, Oppenheimer's uh, son, Peter, is still alive, but almost all the others are dead now that I talk about in the book. But there are people still alive very much who knew them in life. You know, their students, their children, their grandchildren, uh, their, their uh, nieces and nephews, colleagues still, some of their grad students. Uh, Edward Teller, 
who was a major character in this novel, who went on to be the father of the much more powerful hydrogen bomb, even worse than the atomic bomb. One of the students whose thesis he supervised is a friend of mine, Gregory Benford. Well, Greg is still alive. Um, and, uh, you know, I showed the manuscript to Greg. Did I get Teller right? I showed the manuscript to all kinds of people. Did I get these guys right? And, you know, uh, they said I did, which is very gratifying. But that was what made it such a pleasure to write, such because it was a challenge for me. I couldn't say, you know, it would be really good here if Oppenheimer had a moment of doubt in, let's say, 1943, just when the uh, Manhattan Project was getting going. That would have been, you know, interesting moment to write. But it didn't happen, so I couldn't write it. It wasn't true. I had to maintain the truth of these characters. And some of them are so larger than life, including uh, Leo Zillard, who uh, was Einstein's uh, collaborator from one point at one point, and actually was the guy who got Einstein to write to uh, President uh, Roosevelt, urging that the United States develop an atomic bomb. So flamboyantly larger than life a character that, and Richard Feynman too, who is in the the book, and Einstein for that matter, who's in the book. If I had made them up. People say, oh, come on, nobody is that brilliant, that eccentric, that crazy in their love life, that blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they really were. These people are, were, were a gift to be able to write such larger-than-life, flamboyant, absolutely real people. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And out of curiosity, besides being of science fiction, your book could be considered an historical novel? Historical fiction, yes, absolutely. Mm. It's a, a branch of, of literature we call alternate history, hence the alternative in the title, where the most famous examples, at least in North America, all involve things like the United States, you know, the South instead of the North winning the American Civil War, or, you know, uh, Germany or Japan winning World War II instead of uh you know, the Allied powers winning World War II. Uh, but there are all kinds of alternate history novels that hinge on much smaller events. And they ask the big what if, what if things have gone slightly differently? And so uh, about the first, oh, 25% of the Oppenheimer alternative pretty much tracks directly with the history. And then they make a discovery, which I think, you know, there's some little evidence that maybe they did make a discovery along these lines about something being wrong with our sun as they were investigating. What they were trying to do was make fission and fusion, which are uh, fusion is the, the power that drives the sun. The difference between a hydro an atomic bomb and a hydrogen bomb is an atomic bomb is a fission 
weapon, which is the uh, uh, breaking apart of atoms, and the hydrogen bomb is a fusion weapon, which is the bringing together of atoms. Anyway, so um, Oppie was an expert on stellar physics. That was his area of research. And um, I contrived a scenario where they discovered that maybe Earth was facing a existential crisis, pre-global warming related to the sun. And uh, that gives them all these physicists an opportunity after the end of World War II. Remember, World War II, you know, they dropped the bombs at the beginning of August 1945 and the war was over almost immediately after that, right? The war against Germany had ended back in, uh, well, technically not till May, but in April when Adolf Hitler did what they had failed to do, which is, you know, the original intent of the atomic bombs was to use them against Germany, not against Japan. Uh, and they just didn't get them done in time. Hitler did with one single bullet from his Luger what all of the American and, and uh, other allied forces had been incapable of doing, which is bring down this madman. He committed suicide. Uh, quite a turning point there, but I wanted somewhere between there and the end of August when they all left, all the Manhattan Project scientists left because there's nothing left for them to do. And they were all academics, remember. They had all been uh, either volunteered or kind of, you know, pushed into working on this project for three years. And that meant that they'd given up their university appointments, their academic jobs, their tenure track positions. They were all scrambling at the end of the Manhattan Project to get the, and now they were world famous, right? They'd saved the world was the perception in the West. Scrambling to get the best university appointments they could have for September, right? A month after they dropped the bombs, they wanted to be back on the campuses. So I wanted to contrive a circumstance that instead of them dissipating like dandelion fluff to the wind, uh, just a month after the atomic bomb, where they would stay together and continue to work together and try to redeem themselves and save the world. And that's the, the premise of the Oppenheimer Alternative. This book appears to be incredibly well-researched in terms of historic and scientific content, Robert. Thank you. I love doing research. I often say I write my novels just as a way to support my research habit. Nobody would pay me just to research whatever happened to interest me on a given day, but they'll pay me to write a novel where I consolidate all that research into a book. And so, uh, yeah, it's just my favorite part. I spent well over, probably about 18 months, almost two years doing nothing but research for the Oppenheimer alternative before I wrote the first word of it. One of the nice things about being at this stage of my career where I've, I've been lucky and financially successful is I can take as long as I want to write a book. I don't have to, you know, early in my career, if I didn't turn out a book a year, that meant I wasn't eating, all right? I wasn't paying my bills. And now I have the luxury of taking as much time as I want on a project. I think it makes for better books. I think most writers would do a better job if they had that luxury. But again, there's luck. I was lucky uh, to have that luxury, and uh, certainly the Oppenheimer alternative, I just dived in and um, learned everything I could about the Manhattan Project, about how atomic weapons work, about solar physics, about uh, the scientists involved, their personalities, and also what science they were expert in. Hans Bethe, who was an one of the Manhattan Project scientists, expert also in the the uh spectroscopic nature of the sun that figures in the plot you know richard feynman uh godel who were experts on the nature of time the physics of time that figures in the plot godel is a character in the novel too so i just had such a blast learning their areas of expertise and trying to weave them all in together into a coherent plot 
Robert, I'm sorry, but I have to ask you something. Have you ever experienced writer's block? So I don't believe in writer's block. And I've been a full-time professional writer since 1984. So that's a long time now. It's almost 41 years. Sorry, almost it's 39 years, uh, 40 years uh, next year. I did the math wrong. Math, not good. Writing good, words <laughs> bad for me or the other way around. Writing good, numbers bad. And the answer to that is absolutely. I come to a point where I don't know what happens next, but I know something happens later. Or I know there's some part earlier that I kind of did a rush job on that I can go back and work on and fill in the details, right? Uh, when people are writing in a linear fashion, scene A, scene B, scene C, scene D in that order, they reach a point where, oh, I've painted myself into a corner, it, literally a cliffhanger. Their character is hanging on a cliff or something else. I don't know how he gets out or she or they, but I know that they do. So I'll just jump ahead and write three chapters down the road. And then I'll come back when I've solved that problem. As long as you're willing to move around. And I'm old enough as a writer to have done my first uh, writing of fiction on a typewriter. And a typewriter, you have to go linearly. It's a real pain to go back even one line. Even one word in the text is difficult. So you're forced to go like that, A, B, C, D. On a word processor, there's no reason to have to be prisoner of the cursor. Move somewhere else. Open another file. Start another part. Push ahead. There's uh, always something you can write, even if you don't know how to write that particular moment. And that's what you should do when you have writer's block. Thank you for your advice. You're welcome. And Robert, are you currently working on anything new you would like to share with us? Yes, I have. Uh, very interesting. I'm very intrigued by all the new kinds of publishing opportunities that are going on these days. And I was approached uh, during COVID by Audible, the world's largest distributor of audiobooks. And they said, we're big fans of your work. It was very nice to hear. We would like you to write Whatever your next novel is, basically, they said, we want to have it first before anybody else has it. We want to have it for six months before it's in bookstores as an audible original. And I said, well, yeah, I don't know. And we'll pay you a lot of money. And I said, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the financial detail was excellent. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. So we're just in the middle of recording that audiobook. I'm not reading it. We have A-list actors recording the parts. And there are nine different um, narrators for the different scenes. And we have a fellow named Gregory Sinclair, who used to be the head of radio drama for the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, our national broadcasting service, when there was such a thing as radio drama, right? We don't do much of that anymore. But he is you know, the best producer you can get. He's been putting it together. We're hoping that it'll be out in about, uh, oh, uh, let's say the beginning of uh, May in the audiobook version, and then the print version and everything else will come by the end of the year. And it's called The Downloaded. And it's kind of my metaphorical response to COVID-19. In COVID-19, we all metaphorically uploaded. We stopped living physical lives. We were doing exactly what you and I are doing right now, talking through uh, technology. And it became, for many people, all they ever did. They stopped even going to the office or working at home. And so I thought, well, what if you know, people really had uploaded into the computer world and were living virtual lives in a metaverse. And then for some reason that they hadn't anticipated, they had to return 
to flesh and blood physicality to download and get back to being social animals again. And I thought, wow, that's a great way of responding. And science fiction always does this, responds to what the headlines of the day are, responding to COVID in a metaphorical with masks and disguises science fictional way. So the download, I think it's one of the best things I've ever written. I'm delighted Audible gave me this fabulous opportunity. And uh, that's, uh, we're just wrapping up, as I said, the recording of that. And so it'll be available worldwide on Audible in uh, French and in English, at least they're doing French simultaneously with the English, because Canada is officially bilingual, French and English, right? Yeah. Uh, and I imagine they'll do other languages as well, but it'll certainly be available, the English version in any ways, in markets all over the world, including, of course, uh, where you are in Spain. So I'm extremely grateful to Audible for giving me this opportunity. I think uh, the downloaded is one of the very best things I've ever written. It's going to be available worldwide. Um, but we're using an all Canadian, big name Canadian stars, but all Canadian uh, actors uh, to and actresses to do the roles. And uh, I'm really, really proud of it. I wasn't sure I was going to write another novel, to be honest, after the Oppenheimer alternative. And then this, writing something that particularly would do well as a multi-voice narrator thing for Audible, was again, I'm always looking for that challenge, something I haven't done before. And this turned out to be a great challenge. And listening as we, the recording sessions, I mean, I thought I wrote good stuff. But when you hear the actors find every little nuance and even things that I may not have put in there to bring to life. It is just so gratifying as a, as a writer to uh, be able to just sit back and, and listen with joy as they do that. Yes, it's amazing to listen to someone reading the book you wrote. I yes. Think such a great feeling. It is, it is. And Robert, is there a message you would like to leave our listeners today? So, you know, so much science fiction is dystopian, is about the future looking awful. And, you know, we just, as you and I happen to be talking this past week, the international uh, panel on, uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change came up with this incredibly dire warning that we're going to exceed the 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, benchmark that we were not supposed to exceed. The war in Ukraine continues, the invasion, I should say, of Ukraine continues. And so it's very easy to have a, a downbeat view of the future. And I was asked a little while ago, if, you know, you were told that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you say? And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, what I'd have to say is this. I lived in the best time of all of history which is true. The world has never been better than it is today, despite all that. In the best place in all the world, as a Canadian patriot, I have to say that, but even just to mean the democratic Western developed countries, any of them really, there's never been a standard of living like what we're enjoying today. And yes, there's poverty. Yes, there's inequality. Yes, yes, yes. But the general standard of human living and health and health care and longevity uh, is greater than it's ever been before. So I've lived longer. That I've lived at the best time of all of history, the best place in the entire world, and longer already, at, I'm just about to turn 63, than 95% of all the human beings who ever went before me. So even though the news is depressing, and even though most science fiction these days shades towards the dystopian, my own fiction tends to mirror my own attitude, which is optimistic. 
the brightest days for the human race are still ahead of us. That's great to hear. And I'm also very optimist. Yes, yes, that's right. And it's spring, you know, uh, on the day we happen to be recording this, yesterday was the first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, right? And that's wonderful, right? You know, so we're all should be thinking about renewal, fresh life, uh, you know, here in Canada, the snow going away and the flowers blooming and so forth. It's a good time to feel positive about the future. Robert, I'm so happy to have you in the RV today. Our listeners are looking forward to know where they can find your books and you online. Can you share with us? Sure. I was the first science fiction writer in the world to have a website, and I got a great URL, sfwriter.com. S is in science, F is in fiction, writer.com. I have over a million words of text on my website. Go check me out there. And my books are, you know, uh, they're in 20 languages worldwide, Spanish uh, amongst them. Uh, in Italian, uh, Hebrew, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, all over. French, um, I have to say that because it's one of our our official languages here in Canada. And uh, you can find them, you know, hopefully in your local bookstores and certainly on your local Amazon. Uh, and all of my books also are available as audiobooks. So wherever you get your audiobooks, uh, perhaps Audible, perhaps another vendor, uh, I'm not hard to find. Robert J. Sawyer. If you Google just Robert Sawyer, you'll find there are all kinds of deadbeat dads and people being busted for drinking under the influence of alcohol and uh, petty criminals who have that name, Robert Sawyer. Put that yes. magic J in the middle and I tend to be the first hit on Google. You'll find lots of it. Yes, Robert, I just want to say thank you so much for coming to the RV. Also for you, Robert, is a surprise. And for our listeners, you will be featured in our magazine, The Relatable Voice. Oh, lovely. Hey, yes. So That's terrific. Thank you. Yes, I look so forward to that. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, Lucia. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.